episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pagard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. The passage from the scripture that we're going to look at today and use as the uh, focal point for our Bible study can be found in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and we'll be reading from verses 9 to verse 14. So if you uh, want to find that in your own Bible or open up your, your Bible app, Uh, to the version that you're comfortable with, go ahead and do that. And if you'd like to read it on your own first to get the context and then uh, listen to it on the podcast, go ahead and press pause and read uh, the scripture on your own. Or go ahead and listen as I read, and then you can read it on your own afterwards. So again, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And I'll go ahead and start reading, and then I'll pray, and then we'll discuss the passage. So this is Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood up at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breasts and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this opportunity to do a Bible study uh, from all around the world. I thank you that you've provided this scripture and this passage that we can discuss and we can seek your truth in. So Lord, I pray that you speak clearly through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you give me the words that are necessary for this Bible study right now. And I pray that these truths that you provide to all of us uh, plant themselves firmly in our hearts and our spirit. Help us to apply and use these truths as we walk out in faith as disciples of Jesus, or as we approach you as uh, non-believers or people that lack that faith, I I pray that all the truth that you provide to us in this Bible study draws closer to you and closer to your son, Jesus. And in his name I pray, amen. So one thing you find when you read the Gospel of Luke is you find uh, the pattern that Luke implements throughout his entire Gospel of, of couplets. Uh, you you have a, a tendency to to find these these stories or these situations where you have two sides. You have a contrast when it comes to a particular issue. You know you have a tax collector. You have a sinner. Um, you have uh, oftentimes two different characters contrasting one another, uh, and those are are making a point. Um, and what you find in this in this passage that we're reading, verses 9 to 14, is no different. You have the tax collector and you have the sinner. And Jesus is, is addressing um, these two groups in the same way that you have the famous story of the prodigal son, um, or you have the brothers, those two sons that are involved in that story, um, the self-righteous, um, older, older son, and then you have the, the sinful, um, kind of wild child of the younger son, and and this isn't something that that you know Luke thought up of you know and, and he and he you know 
made sure to, to include in his gospel just for the sake of, of having couplets or having contrast, um, I believe, and this is, is something that I've come to experience in my faith, is that when, when the Holy Spirit is, is working in my life or when I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to give me vision, um, not visions uh, per se, but, but just to allow me to see clearly, um, to look at the world and see, uh, see the way it is truly in, in God's eyes, not from my own perspective or how I like to see things. But when I, when I seek the Lord and I say, God, no matter how uncomfortable it is for me to see it, or no matter how uncomfortable it is for me to be confronted with truth, help me to see things as you see it. What tends to happen uh, most of the time is that God breaks things down into contrast. Um, he starts to show you light and darkness. Um, he starts to show you, you know, joy and sadness. Uh, you start to see those uh, those couplets in your day to day life. Um, you know, I, I I'm sure that uh, if you've been following the Lord, if you've been seeking the Lord and seeking His wisdom, I'm sure you can can relate to that. Um, I'm sure there's there's times that you've you've been able to see a clear distinction uh, between light and darkness. Um, that's one of the gifts of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is that, you know, for the first time, it's like your eyes are open and you can see things as they are. Uh, you're no longer uh, confused or distracted by miles and miles of gray area uh, in the middle, but you can see black and white. Now, what that doesn't mean, and, that, and that's, you know, one of the main focal points and lessons of this passage is it doesn't mean saved and unsaved, or um, privileged and underprivileged, or you have, you know, special and and the outcast. You know, what this doesn't allow a Christian is the license to, uh, you know, be exclusive and, and be exclusive in self-righteousness. The gospel itself is exclusive. You know, there are, there are conditions, not our own conditions, but there are conditions in order to draw uh, close to God through Jesus. You know, there are unshakable conditions that we all have to meet. You know, it isn't an open, wide gate. It's the narrow gate, and you have to meet those conditions. However, the conditions are not workspace, and we'll touch on that. It's not how much you've done. It's not how special you are. It's not your background. It's not anything that, that establishes you as privileged over someone else it's only, it's purely by Jesus' grace and his name that you are accepted. And that name and that grace extends to all people. So it is exclusive and you, do, and you do start to see dark and light, you know, contrasted against each other. Um, but it doesn't give you a license to, to set up shop in the light and look down on the darkness. But, you know, when, when I, when I think about the, 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 activity of the Holy Spirit in my life, I start to see these these things that are resembled in the Gospels. You start to see it mirrored. You start to see your life mirroring um, what you've read that was written down, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, and and that's, that's one of the amazing things. It's an amazing revelation uh, when you, when you're walking consistently and, and persistently with the Lord is that you start to see a, a oneness, you start to see a, a, a united uh, kind of effort and a united 
uh, experience, even with people like Luke and and the people that were alive, uh, privileged enough to to be there as Jesus was teaching during his three year ministry, um, and you know just on a practical side, it, it's it's a it's an amazing revelation personally to be able to relate uh, to to this kind of um, perspective. Uh, but then on a practical side, it just lays things out so nicely um, and so easily uh, in terms of teaching a lesson or understanding a lesson. It's so much easier if, if the choices are just A and B um, as opposed to, you know, A through E. So so for for learning purposes and, and for this Bible studies purpose, it lays it out very easily um, with some of these stories, with some of these parables one of the, the the risks or one of the traps is to read it and to think, well, it's so obvious. There's not there's not really much else we can say. Uh, there's not really any point to really talk too much about it. Let's just keep going on to verse 15. Um, and that happens a lot. That happens to me. You know, when I'm reading through the Bible, especially if I'm on some kind of plan where you, uh, you're starting to associate reading the Bible with, with dates or accomplishment, you know, finishing a certain plan. It, 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 I love the plans, and I recommend plans. Um, you know, a, a site like YouVersion.com um, is a great source uh, if you if you are looking for a plan uh, to keep you accountable, reading the Bible consistently day to day, uh, throughout you know weeks at a time, months at a time, or or years. Um, it's a great way to be accountable. It's a great way to stay in the Word and to not, not allow yourself to wander. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, it's easy. If, if I don't have a plan to just gradually start to see more and more space come between you and the Lord. Um, life is busy. Uh, our interests are immense. You know, outside of the gospel, our desires are immense outside of the gospel. And if we're not making an effort to be in his presence, it's very easy to fall out of that gravitational pull. And we just slingshot out of the atmosphere um, and into space. So uh, the plans are great. The drawback to the plans, and it's it's something to also be careful about, as much as you got to be careful about getting too, too far away from the word, uh, in the plans, you've got to be careful about how you're approaching the plan, uh, because reading the word, you know, and we, we talk about it, you know, in this Bible study, on this podcast, I talk about it often to people, uh, reading the word is part of a conversation. You know, you think about communicating with God, it has, it's twofold, it has two phases to it. Uh, prayer is often how we communicate and allow our heart to be known. He knows our hearts, but, uh, you know, actually verbalizing your needs, your desires, uh, taking them to the Lord in prayer uh, is a way for you to communicate. And kind of on the other side, in response to that, going into the Word is where you get to, to hear His response. You get to see His response um, as He has said it. Uh, you know, if, if you're only relying on how you feel in the Spirit or your moods or something that you believe you heard from the Lord, even visions and dreams that are very real, um, it took me a while to come around and, and fully believe in, in, in visions and dreams until I actually had them. Uh, and and they, can, they can speak truth into your life in the same way as, as, as the Word will. However, if all you have is I pray and then I feel things, or I pray and then I, th- I, I, I got this, this vision, 
the only way for you to solidify truth underlying those visions and feelings is if you're getting truth. You know, it sounds simple, but if you're getting truth literally in the words, that will check back against all of these experiences, all these visions, and you'll be able to tell if that was truly something the Lord was saying to you or if that was something that, you know, was it felt real, it might have been real, but it's not from the Lord. So you've got to be in the Word. So the problem is that when you're going into the Word, and I'll only spend a, a, another minute or so and then we'll get into the, the passage, is that you've got to be engaging with it. It's a conversation, and sometimes that means flipping to a random passage, kind of like how we do this Bible study. There's no real plan. It's just a random passage uh, given to me by random people, or I choose, and you just find the Lord in, in the entire scripture, you know, Genesis to Revelation. You just look for him. It's part of the fun about talking to him is that you never know what you're going to talk about, but he, but you're going to speak to him. You're going to hear clearly from him. The problem is that when you have these, these, uh, these plans, that, that freedom to just talk starts to kind of get caged in because on this date, in this part of the schedule, over the course of months or years, you've got to read this section. Um, so, so reading the Bible um, is so important and having a plan is so important, but you've got to make sure uh, that you, you, have some, you have some freedom there. Um, so, so getting in the Bible you know, is important. Um, and that's where you're going to get the truth, and that's where you're going to get that perspective, and you're going to see things echoed in Scripture in your life in the same way that we look at uh, the, the the style of Luke, these couplets, these contrasts, how, how that interacts in our day-to-day life, and how we come to see those same things. Um, so let's get into the passage from 9 to 14. Uh, what you have, so the, the, the clear kind of flyover picture is that you have uh, Jesus giving a parable, you know, it's not necessarily something that he was looking at. He might have seen it. Um, I'm sure this happened. Uh, it still happens if you change temple for church um, and you have tax collector as, you know, business owner or whatever. I mean, this is something that happens uh, every day uh, in our world in terms of, of a religious heart contrasting uh, the, the gospel heart. Uh, so this is possibly, likely, uh, something that, that was seen in the temple but in this moment, in chapter 18, Jesus is simply giving a parable, teaching a lesson uh, about where your heart should be when you approach the Lord, what it means to, to follow the Lord, uh, what it means to pray to, to God. Um, so teaching those lessons, he uses this parable. So what you have is you have two men. One is a tax collector and one is a Pharisee. Um, so I might have gotten that mixed up earlier. So the tax collector uh, would, would, would probably be someone more more on the lines of, uh, someone doing shady business as, poor, as opposed to a, the Pharisee maybe who's wealthy and doing well, maybe the businessman. So what you have is you have a Pharisee, uh, someone who is very uh, in the know when it, term, when it comes to you know, religion and, and the religion of Israel. They're the, the wise men, so to speak. They're the teachers of the law. You know, they're the experts. Uh, they're, very, uh, they're very privileged. Um, they're uh, very highly respected in society. Uh, these are people in the center of of all things happening, even politically. And then you have a tax collector uh, who is is in this story, in this contrast, he's the outsider. So you have one person who is firmly rooted inside the circle, one person who's outside. Now the Pharisees, according to people and and how they were viewed, is that they were they were that kind of mediator almost uh, between the regular folk 
and God. You know, the Pharisees, they were doing everything, uh, you know, to the, to the, to the detail, to the, to the very last, you know, jot and tittle, you know, he, they were doing everything exactly as you should. Uh, and they knew exactly how you were to, to, to worship the Lord, uh, what you were to teach, all of the details, they, they had their handle on it. So when people looked at them, you know, they looked at them as, as, as people that were, were as close as you could get to, to being holy and set apart, to being holy, to being holy and, and carrying that holiness, uh, you know, almost kind of for, for the Israelites, for the common people. Um, but the, the surprising thing in, in the Gospels, the surprising thing to the people that heard of Jesus is that Jesus took a completely um, different approach to the Pharisee. What Jesus saw is he went beneath the service. He, he saw beneath the facade of all of the rituals um, and all of the, the external behavior, and he looked at their heart. And what he was revealing in this parable, what he reveals throughout the entire gospel, is that simply having the external proof that you follow God is not nearly as important as, ha- is as having the internal proof of a heart following God. And there's a huge difference, a huge difference, and he highlights that difference here. Uh, in verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So verse 10, setting the scene. You have the temple, you have these two men going up at the same time. So it starts off equal. You know, you have differences in their background, differences in, in what part of society uh, they are from, but their action, what they are doing, is the same thing. And that's important, you know, is that what they're doing is engaging in that conversation. You know, like we said earlier, they're praying, they're talking to God. So, you know, at this point, when it comes to what they are doing, what they're setting out to do, uh, there's no difference. So, so Jesus is saying, okay, both of them are coming to talk to God. And both of them believe that they're talking to God. And Jesus is going to reveal in the next verse that one person is totally missing the mark. And he sets that up in, the ver- in verse 9. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. So, you know, you, from verse 9, you know that one of these, one of these people, uh, one of these guys is going to be confident in his own righteousness and looking down on someone else. So then in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. You know, you could just end there. You know, that's, that's, that's as much information as you need. And that is, that is so convicting. It's so revealing about our hearts not even just talking about when we pray, but when we're approaching God. You know, when you go to church, how much of you going to church is about you and how much is it about God? You know, are you going to be pleased by the worship music? Are you going to be pleased by the message that's preached? Are you going to be pleased by all of the announcements are you going to be pleased by all of the different connections that you've made in your in your neighborhood and your community through the church? You know, oftentimes we we make everything about ourselves. And it might have been the last podcast or the previous podcast before that, but one of the points was it's not about you. It's never about you. 
And because of sin, because sin is in our heart and it will remain in our heart until the day we die and to the day we come into his presence and we will be made like him. And don't be deceived. That, that is something that is preached, that you are done with it. You're done with it. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, Jesus has paid your debt. But now you have to actively fight that sinful nature within you. And that sinful nature is dying to convince you that it's about you. And it's not. So one of the challenges of this passage to, to me, to all of you listening, is when you go to pray, when you go to God, whether it's reading your Bible, take the, 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 the reference to reading plans. When you're going to the Bible, are you finishing that, that, that day so you can check off that day and have it say, great job, day 22 finished, and you can feel good about just reading your Bible? Are you doing it so that you can just finish it, accomplish something, or are you going into it to engage with God? And if he's calling you to keep reading, you keep reading. And if he calls you to go somewhere else, do you go somewhere else in the word and and listen to him? When you go to church, when you pray, when you're serving in the community, is it about you or is it about God? And that is vital. The whole your your whole faith hinges on that. The whole spirit of Christ in Christianity hinges on that. Because if it's about you, it's not Christianity. If it's if it's if it's about you, it's not about Jesus. And you can't claim Jesus and then be serving yourself. And we do, and we're tempted to all the time. But that one sentence, that one statement is enough. I mean, we'll we'll keep going and 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 go through some of the other things that follow that. But it said the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. You know, we have a tendency to pray about ourselves, worship ourselves, serve ourselves, advise ourselves. I mean, for some of us at times, if, you, if you're honest and you take a second and take stock at your behavior and how you do things, where is God? Do you even need God? Have you established yourself as enough? Like God? I mean, you go back to Genesis, go back to the fall, and you 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 look at that temptation. What's the lie? That you will be like God. So from the beginning, that lie, that deception that you can be like him, and in fact, you don't really need him. And going deeper, if you stay with him, he will just hold you down. He wants to oppress you. He wants to cage you in, trap you, stifle you. So that lie says the best thing you can do, the smartest move you could ever make in your life is to set yourself free from the oppressor. And how evil and deceptive that lie is. And how false that lie is. And that plants that seed that we feel every time we make things about ourselves. But it's not about you. It never has been about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And if your life is worshiping you, 
if your life is, is, is worshiping what you do, who you are, there's really no room for God. In order for there to be room for God, you have to empty out the house. So in other words, you have to empty out your heart and say, I am empty, fill me up. Fill me up with new desires. Fill me up with new cravings. New direction, new purpose, new community, new hobbies. We talked a few episodes ago that one of the beauty of the gospel is that God takes you as you are. So your skills, your experience, he's going to use it. He doesn't demand that you reset. However, walking with Christ, you give him the the authority and the right to establish new cravings in your heart and to take old cravings away that are not holy. So for example, if you're a musician and you play music, and maybe before you met the Lord, you loved to listen to all types of music, even music that had foul language, music that was violent, maybe misogynistic, things that are not holy, things that are not good, pure, worthy. With the Lord, what he won't do, or most likely will not do, is completely erase music from your life. Take all that time you put into practicing, all that time you spent learning about music and and understanding music, what he likely will not do is completely remove that. What he will do is he will enhance your love for music. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you will just listen to praise music. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And sometimes I don't listen to Christian music. Actually, a lot of the times I don't. However, when I listen to a praise song, when I listen to a hymn, and there's unity with those melodies and the words, the feelings that I get, the emotions that I experience when I listen to those songs dwarf the emotions I feel when I listen to other songs that are just talking about pain or just talking about life. When the music I'm listening to and the music I'm, I'm making or participating in is glorifying him, it's just at a different level. I still like the other music. I still love to play different kinds of music. But it's almost like God has, has sectioned off a very special type of music for me. And it's his. And it's anointed. It's good. It's holy. It's pure. But we have to be willing to let the Lord redefine our life, redefine us. So it's not about us, it's about him. But what he does is he makes us center figures in what he wants to do. We become extremely important to his work. But it's a work that he defines, it's a work that he establishes. So first, the Pharisee in this, in this section in Luke, he prays, but he prays about himself. And he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So the spirit of the Pharisee, the spirit of sin, touching that kind of religiosity that associates itself with Christianity, is a, an understanding that you are special 
but it's tainted with self-righteousness. It's not special in the sense that you were forgiven like everyone else, you were accepted like everyone else, but that you have a special place in God's eyes that is so much more than all the other people around you. That you're better than everyone else. And that's just not the case. When it comes to the gospel, there's equality. Complete equality. No favoritism. But that spirit of the Pharisee denies that. And says, I've worked a little harder. I've been a little bit more committed. I've suffered a little bit more. So I've got to have a little bit more than that other person. I read my Bible a little too much compared to that other person. I pray too much more than that other person. I attend church way more than that other person. Therefore, I've got to have a little bit extra. It's never about quantity. It's about quality. Now, oftentimes, quantity can lead to quality. The more you read the Bible, the more you pray, the more you're in fellowship, those can obviously lead to more fruit. But if the focus is the, if the motivation is quantity, it's missing the boat from the beginning, praying to himself before he even prays. There's no need for God in that situation. God is unnecessary. You're already praying to yourself. You're just talking to yourself. Oftentimes when we pray and we don't have the spirit of Christ in us as we pray, you're just talking to yourself. You're just motivating yourself. It's like self, self-coaching. You shut your eyes and you just talk about things you like to hear. God, thank you that I did this and thank you for this and, you know, this is this and blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with God. That's not prayer. It's not a conversation. It's you looking in the mirror and saying, I'm wonderful. I'm talented. And God dong it, people like me or people love me. People like me. From the SNL skit. That's all it is for a lot of times when we're praying. It's just about you. So the Pharisees doing the same thing. So that thank you that I'm not like those other people. And he says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. So first it's it's thank you that I'm just not as bad as those other people. All those people doing bad stuff, all those sinners. Thank you that I'm not a sinner. And then it's and look at all those things I do. Kind of like you're proving it. You're, it's almost like you're, you're insecure, so you're, you're, you're padding your resume. You're padding the score. <laughs> kind of making an, an uber point that, see, because of this. And that's the thing, is that the heart of a Pharisee, it comes off as extremely confident, overconfident. However, at its root, in, in its heart, is devastating fearful insecurity, insecurity that you're not good enough, insecurity that you haven't done enough, insecurity that God doesn't quite love you as much as you think he should. So you're constantly walking around wondering, am I doing enough? And that's what you see with this Pharisee. First, he's saying, thank you that I'm not a sinner, that I'm perfect, that I'm good. And to prove it, see what I do. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Someone that's dying to be accepted, someone that's dying to be, you know, affirmed and approved, they're constantly trying to tell you what they've done to the point where it starts to have the opposite effect, starts to push people away because the person just wants to have a conversation. The person just wants to hang out. 
they want to just feel like you can relax and just be with them. But when the one person is constantly saying, you know, I just love your, I love your hair. I love your car. Oh, you're the best this. Oh, you're the best singer. Oh, you're so great. It gets suffocating at times. And you just think, God, just stop it. Just talk. You don't need to keep proving that you deserve to be here. You don't need to keep proving that you deserve to be my friend. Just be my friend. And that's in the heart of that Pharisee. Is that he's in this, you know, on the surface, in public, so confident. But in those quiet moments, constantly trying to prove himself. Constantly trying to reassure himself that he's good with God. That he's done what he needs to do. And then you have the tax collector. Stood at a distance. Couldn't even come close. Because he knows he is so sinful. He's so tainted. Dirty with sin. That he doesn't belong anywhere near the holiness that God has. And he possesses and that he represents. First the Pharisee says, thank you, I'm not a sinner. The tax collector says, I'm such a sinner, I can't even go near to him. He says he would not even look up to heaven. Can't even look God in the eye. Because he knows who he is. And he knows who God is. When you pray, you've got to take stock about who you're talking to and who you are. Because who you're talking to when you pray is a holy creator, living God. He's listening in real time. He's listening to you. And he is perfect. And he knows who you are. So after you've taken stock of who he is, take stock of who you are. And you are sinful and you are guilty. You're an outcast. You don't deserve to be brought in. But by the grace of Jesus, you are brought in. But who you are is a sinner. And that's how you approach God. You don't approach God, you know, stomping through the sanctuary with your uh, your finest clothes, with your nose up in the air and saying, you know, now let me, let me talk to God. No. He's holy. You are not. You are being transformed in the image of Christ. But you're still a sinner. And said, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy. Saying, I'm guilty, but please have mercy. So you look at the Pharisee and there's this overt cockiness. You look at the tax collector and it's humble submission. Saying, I know who I am. I know who you are. I know what should happen, but please have mercy. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, so the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The spirit of Christianity is all about submission. It's all about submission in who you are as a created child, and that God is the authority and your Father. And it's all about submission to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything else, it's not trivial. It's not that it doesn't matter. But everything else, the fruit of that life, is rooted in those two things. Submission, knowing who you are and who you're talking to. And who you are, who I am, who we are, are sinners, outcasts, guilty people that have done nothing to earn our right in his presence. We deserve to be outside. We deserve to stand at a distance. But we bring ourselves to him as that, truly as we are. And then you allow him, you wait for him to bring you in. You wait for him to bring you in. 
and by his grace, in Jesus' name, you are then brought in. Maintaining that submission the entire time. So whether it's when you're praying or how you're approaching other people, non-Christians, people in your church, whoever, at the heart of everything you do and who you are is this reality, present reality, an ongoing reality, that you are a sinner that looks up to heaven, not fearfully, but knowing that to look him in the eyes is to see holiness and perfection and that you are far from it, but it's to look up and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's not something that you pray at the beginning, right before you get baptized on Baptism Sunday, where you say the sinner's prayer, and you say, God, have mercy, I'm a sinner. That is a daily statement and truth that you stand upon. And the good news is that the truth that you stand upon in Jesus is that you are forgiven. Like Jesus tells the woman in adultery, who condemns you? Who accuses you? reaches out his hand, picks her up. Sin no more. Turn from that life of sin. That's what we have. And that's good news because we know who we are. And even in that state, even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us and saved us. So this story, it is simple. It is simple in that you have this contrast, dark and light, Pharisee, tax collector, religion, gospel, But when you, when you think about what you learned in elementary school, when you think about those fundamental skills that you learned, you don't shove those off and say, why did I waste my time? Those allow you to do everything. Imagine if no one had ever taught you the alphabet. Imagine if no one had ever taught you to walk, taught you how to do basic things. It's because of those basic things that we rely on the rest of our lives because of those things we can live and that we can be productive and that we can find joy and be used. So it's simple in verse 9 to 14. It's a simple story, but it's such a fundamental and necessary story for us to understand and repeat to ourselves on a day-to-day basis. So we'll end it with this. And I pray that this stick in your mind today through this week after you listen to it as a Christian, get comfortable repeating, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Daily, repeat that. God, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. In that simple but central truth, in that statement, is everything. That's your faith. That's your future as a Christian. That's your hope As a Christian, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, scripture. Thank you for the lesson. Thank you for that we have a clear contrast between religion and the heart of a Pharisee and the gospel and the heart of uh, a condemned sinner pleading for mercy. And thank you that we have your forgiveness and we have your mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you that we have his life and his death and his resurrection. Help us to remember who we are every time we pray, every time we read the Bible, go to church, go out into the world in our workplace. Solidify that truth of who we are and who you are in our hearts and in our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Okay, so we'll leave that there for uh, for this week's episode um, of the Mobile Word Podcast. So thank you for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, remember, if you have any questions, uh, any thoughts, any comments, uh, any verses or scriptures that you would like discussed on the podcast, please feel free to submit those to our email at mobilewordministry at gmail.com. And until next time, enjoy the word and God bless. Thank you.